Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're chatting with Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun, looking ahead to the Briar, which begins Friday in Regina. Also, Alex Campbell has signed with the Winnipeg Sea Bears. We'll learn more about him and his basketball journey on the podcast. All right, let's talk curling now. Because by the time I'm on the air again Friday, the Briar will be underway in Regina. So we preview the action now with our friend Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. Ted, I'll, I'll let you gloat to start. You had Rachel Holman winning the Scotties when we chatted a couple weeks ago. You nailed it. Yeah, I guess I'm pretty good at picking front runners. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> bold choice. Well, look, man, they were 37 and five coming into the Scotties. Now they're 48 and five. I mean, that's those numbers just don't lie, right? They had been in uh, they had been in seven events prior to the Scotties and they won five of them. They were in finals of six of them. It's just, it just looked like that was a team on a mission, on a roll, and man, they barely got past Jennifer Jones. What a story that would have made had Jennifer Jones won at her very last Scotties, but it just looked like uh, there was no way that Rachel Holman and her teammates were going to be denied, and it's, you know, you know, seeing as how there's still some of this season left, and it's going to include a world championship shot for them, it could go down as one of the truly great seasons in curling history. And that's in Sydney, which is a site of one of the bigger collapses we've seen in a Scotty's final back in in 2019, when she had a 5-1 lead after four, gave up a ton of steals and lost in an extra to Chelsea Carey. So I'm sure there's some redemption there, too, on her mind. <laughs> yeah, I doubt she wants to think too much back No, to that, probably not. Uh, you know, to handle it. But, you know, I just think that uh, that's a team that uh, generally Rachel Holm is not the most talkative person, so I don't uh, interview her that often, but I talk to Emma Miskew a lot. And she said, you know, last year when they brought Tracy Fleury in, they had this plan where it was going to be that Tracy Fleury would call the game and Rachel would just concentrate on being the shooter, uh, throwing the four stones. And eventually... It just sort of wasn't working. They just weren't feeling it. They weren't having a lot of success. So they went back to the old way, making sure Rachel was calling the game and uh, throwing four stones with the excellent, uh, you know, vice skip in Tracy Fleury. And they just flourished this year. Absolutely. It just worked so well. And with Emma Miskew now playing at second and, of course, Sarah Wilkes being a very strong lead, it's just formed a team that is you know, I believe designed to try to take a run at Sylvanna Tiranzoni's team. And if, you know, Tiranzoni hasn't lost in an awful long time at the world level, I think they're going to have their hands full with home in this time. A thought too on Manitoba before the six teams end up making it into the championship pool round with Caitlin Laws getting in on a tiebreaker. Kate Cameron takes out Carrie Anderson, the defending champion. She ends up finishing third, which is a great achievement for that team. Uh, and then Jones, of course, in, in her final go-round. Um, do we think that Anderson's team, the four-peat, we should just move on from them, or are they going to be back in, in full force? I guess the big question is Brianne Harris. I, I know you probably weren't too thrilled with the lack of transparency on that, but is that something that we just have to accept, that we're going to find out when we find out eventually, maybe? Yep, <laughs> you've got it. That's that's it. I mean, it's... Uh... It's a, it's a well-guarded secret, whatever the situation is. Um, and uh, people have been told not to talk, and they're not talking. Um, we all know that there's lots of possibilities that uh, that have entered into this, and a lot of it's been reported and speculated upon. Um, and I think we either, you know, the, the crazy thing about this is we either will find out or we won't. 
because there is a possibility there where things get resolved and, and you know, it just would be on the curler herself to make uh, a public statement and she may choose not to. So there's a lot of things going on there that uh, uh, that could happen. I think, I don't think that that was the reason why uh, the Kerry Anderson team didn't win this week. I mean, they, they looked like they were doing just fine and Kristen Karwaki was excellent at lead. In fact, she was the all-star lead in the event. It was just that, um, you know, maybe they, they, they just obviously didn't have it in the playoffs the way that you norm, they normally do. And, uh, and they just, you know, the, Kate Cameron played a great game to eliminate them. It had to happen sometime. They'd won four in a row. They had all this magic at the Scotties. It hadn't seemed like all that great of a season for them this year compared to some others. And, you know, eventually your time comes. Um, I by no means think that uh, Carrie Anderson is uh, going away. She's still young. She's got a lot of time. The whole team is. As long as they stay together, they're going to be contenders. So, um, uh, you know, it's just in this case, again, I think Holman was winning this no matter what. I really do. And uh, so so whether Anderson lost out when she did or or made it to the final, I think Holman still would have won it. And as you talked about, the Manitoba teams getting in there, well, the pressure's really on Matt Dunstone and Reed Carruthers now, isn't it? Because apparently all Manitoba teams make the playoffs at these big events. Well, Matt Dunstone's got a pretty good record as of late at the the Briar, whether it was with Saskatchewan getting a couple bronzes or last year making the final to come in very close. But Brad Gushu, five wins in his last seven Briars after being the guy that could never quite win the big one. He's all of a sudden the most decorated men's skip ever in this country, just like that. And he is, I mean, is he the favorite in your eyes going into this tournament this week? Nope. He's no. not. I'm going to do the same thing I did with uh, Rachel Holman team, and I'm going to say the front runner for me is the team that's leading the CTRS right now, and that is Brendan Botcher. I think that Botcher team, very much like the Holman team, was built to be um, uh, you know, an internationally successful team. They were built to try to take on these teams from around the world, like Bruce Mowat, like Nicholas Adine, etc., and they didn't have a very good gelling their first year. Uh, Mark Kennedy's at third on that team. You've got Brett Gallant and you've got Ben Hebert. They're all multiple champions, Olympians, all kinds of uh, greatness involved there. And I think it took them a while to gel. And this year they really put it together. They've been the best team in Canada. They've been right up there at the top of the world. And I just think this is their year. But you can never, ever even come close to counting out Brad Gushu who has obviously owned the briar of late, has been great. Um, uh, even this season, he's been very good. And I just think um, sometimes uh, these situations with teams like Botcher and Holman is it just takes them a little while to find their stride. I think the Botcher team has found its stride right now. I think there's a pretty good track record of that, Ted. Is there not of teams in their first year to get especially in the last decade of this of this curling free agent boom that we've seen where the first year together even the anderson rink exactly. they lost the manitoba final and the that takes a bit to get going the anderson rink obviously got going in a big way winning four in a row but we've seen that in the men's game too sometimes the first year like oh my god this isn't working and then they click and maybe that's why brad gushu found so much success over this time of great free agency because that team was pretty much the same every year now with one difference with Brett Gallant out and EJ Harnden in, but still Nichols, still Walker. I mean, there's a lot of continuity there. Yeah, there is. There's no doubt. And as you said, with uh, with Kerry Anderson's team, they lost a wild card in Sydney in 2019. 
then they go on the next four, they end up winning the whole thing. So it does take a little time to gel. I do think that's the situation with Botcher. And I think it was, as you said, the situation with, uh, with Brad Gushu, uh, for all those years, he just, he, he, he had it, it close. I mean, the guy went to the Olympics in 2006, he won a gold medal. It's not like he was not a uh, strong contender at the Briar because he always was. He just hadn't quite found his way over the top. But also, I think when you learn how to win, it begets more winning. And I mean, I think we've seen that in all sports. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs. It's like you've figured out some of these things about when it comes to the biggest games, how to handle the moments and how to win. And I do think Brad Gushu has that in his arsenal that probably no other men's team has and, and very few ever have had in the Canadian game. All right, so Pool A is the pool in which both Manitoba teams are in, Matt Dunstone and Reed Carruthers, who are actually playing their first game against each other on Saturday, which will be cool to see. Uh, we'll start with Dunstone because they made the final last year. They're the second-ranked team in Pool A. What are your expectations of this team now that they've got another year under their belt? Uh, well, I mean, they were very good last year, right? I think they were as good last year as they are this year. The interesting thing for the Dunstone team is one thing that I really thought stood out at the Scotties was that you ended up with Jennifer Jones and Rachel Homan in the, uh, in the final. And both of those teams were pre-qualified CTRS teams um, from the summer. And, and uh, they knew all season long that they were going to be in the Scotties. They didn't have to go through provincials. They had a long break before provincials. And clearly they did very well in that area. Kerry Anderson's team, four years in a row, three of those as Team Canada didn't have to play through provincials. Brad Goosh has been doing that. I think this is going to be a big advantage for teams like Botcher and Dunstone coming in here, having concentrated all year on, on peaking at this moment. And, um, and I think I like their chances right there at the end again for Matt Dunstone's team. The fact is you've got Kevin Cooey to contend with. You've got Goosh, you've got Botcher, you've got Curthers, you've got Mike McEwen. Um, these are all extremely good teams, and you lose to any one of them. But um, I, I do like that second-year thing with uh, the Stone team, like you mentioned. And, I, and a bit of, you know, Matt's always got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, right? Like he's a competitive guy and an emotional guy, and he wears it a little bit. But, you know, they lost the final last year. And believe me, it's sucked ever since, and he can't wait to get another crack at that. And uh, I think, you know, he's lost a couple of uh, – He's, he's had a couple of bronze medals. He's got a silver medal. It's time for him to get that gold. Very, very tough in this field, but you certainly wouldn't rule it out because that's kind of looked like the next great team for some time. So Pool A, we expect Botcher, Dunstone, and then would it be the Carruthers team to get that third spot? Well, pretty good chance of it, right? I mean, I don't, uh, you know, I, I think Glenn Howard's team obviously is always competitive, Scott Howard's going to be throwing the four stones there. And, uh, you know, Glenn calls as good a game as anybody. Um, he's throwing second stones now. But, but I don't know that they're quite there at that level. And, and Glenn is 60, 61, 60 years old now. I don't remember which it is. But still playing great curling. And, and one of the great knowledgeable curlers of all time. And one of the great guys in the sport, no doubt about it. But I, I find it hard to think that they're going to be able to squeeze in there probably should be the three that you mentioned and over to pool b where number one would be brad gushu kevin cooey's team with tyler tardy jock goche and Kark martin and then 
Do we see Mike McEwen now representing Saskatchewan, the home team, as that third spot? Yeah, I think I, you know that's the easiest bet, and that's the top seeds of the group. But I think Aaron Sluchinski, who managed to beat out Kevin Cooey to win Alberta, has to be considered in the mix. I think he's number seven in the CTRS standings this year and has been really growing. You win Alberta, that means something. Now, of course, they didn't have to get past Botcher in this situation, but they did have to get past one of the all-time greats in Kevin Cooey, who has a very strong team. And, I mean, Kevin Cooey is kind of like the Jennifer Jones on the men's side. He's a, a little bit older, but he's got young guys, Tyler Tardy and Zach Gauthier, who aren't that far removed from juniors uh, in his lineup. And, I mean, that is something that, with an old master throwing the final brick and one of the greatest throwers of all time, you're never, ever counting that team out. So it's going to be a – that'll be a really interesting pool, I think, and I I think a stronger battle for that uh, third playoff spot there. Because what we saw at the Scotties was really a two-team battle between BC and and Kate Cameron's team in Pool B to make that spot, but then the chaos of Pool A where there ended up being five teams – tied was awesome i don't think we're going to get that at the briar i think there's more of a clear-cut top and bottom personally but we'll see well you never know right i mean that's just how it worked out because that was a very competitive pool and you ended up with all these teams tied obviously nobody really likes the the no tiebreaker system i shouldn't say nobody i imagine uh TSN doesn't mind, and um, I, I don't think the curlers like it because they'd rather play for it, but then you end up with a five-way tie like that. How many tiebreakers are you going to have to have? That's not uh, not the easiest thing in the world. I do know that this is the way the World Curling Federation wants it, and, that, and, and Curling Canada has fall fallen in line with it. I think it's just the way of the future and not much point in talking about it too much more. But I will say, I also think Curling Canada has done some really good work with both the Briar and Scotties this year. And that's in terms of correcting their playoff system. This system works very well. Uh, it, lo- it, it turned out really good, I thought, in determining a champion. And I think the system of not calling teams wildcard one, two, and three anymore, but attaching their provincial colors to these teams that get in through the CTRS has really added to the event because now if you're a fan of Manitoba, you're, you're not just cheering for some innocuous wildcard team. You're cheering for Manitoba Dunstone or you're cheering for Manitoba Carruthers or whatever you might have. There's even three teams from Alberta this time. I think that's just a, a, a stroke of genius. Not sure why it took so long to come to it, but I think that's made these events better. So I'll get you out of here on this. I think I know what direction you're going to go, but... You're, you nailed the Scotties. Are you going to go with Botcher, Botcher to win the Briar? Oh, yeah. I'm definitely going with Botcher to win the Briar. Um, and and I all, for all the reasons that I said before, I mean, I, I talk to Mark Kennedy a lot. He's uh, as wise a person as there is in curling. And he told me last year that this was the plan was to build a team that could take on the best teams in the world. And, of course, to do that, you have to take on some of the best teams in the world and win Canada. But I believe they have the lineup to do it. You're never going to see a better front end than Ben Hebert and Brett Gallant. Kennedy can do anything uh, out there as a third, and Brendan Botcher is a sharpshooter. So, you know, look out, everyone else. I think that's your uh, team to beat right now. Ted, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this, and enjoy the curling. You're welcome, Christian. Have a good one. Ted Wyman of the Winnipeg Sun. The Briar begins on Friday. 6 p.m. is the first draw. Team Dunstone against Team Carruthers is uh, first game for each of them Saturday afternoon. Uh, I'll be taping an interview with Matt Dunstone tomorrow morning. 
that will run on Friday's show. Winnipeg Sea Bears have been active this week, doubling their 2024 roster from two players to four. Still a long way to go, but hey, they're they're working on it. Today, they inked Canadian point guard Mason Borsier, who had a solid season with Calgary last year as they made the CEBL final. We'll hear from him Friday. Tonight, we get to know Alex Campbell, a 31-year-old who averaged 7.5 points and 4.3 rebounds per game last year with the Vancouver Bandits. His fourth season in the CEBL after spending some time overseas. I caught up with the 6'4", 200-pound guard earlier this week. Why Winnipeg? Why the Sea Bears? Uh, keep it short, Christian. Uh, I have some familiarity uh, with Coach Mike Taylor. Uh, so he coached uh, Vancouver the year the year before, obviously. And then we kind of linked back up uh, that summer. I mean, that winter during the BCLAs when he came down. And he was an assistant. Um, just the idea, he said he was out in Winnipeg. And that year, I was still, you know, kind of locked into the Bandits thing. But after this summer, I just between Mike Taylor wanting me there and seeing how they played and what kind of they needed, I felt like uh, I, could, I could come right in and, and, and kind of help that situation out and impact winning right away. So that was a no-brainer. And then as well as just the fan base, right? Just the electricity in the gym. Is, uh, is always a fun environment to play in. When you went into that building for the first time as a visitor, uh, being that it was, I believe, the very first game the Seabirds ever played was against the Bandits, yep. what was your initial thought going in, and, and did that change after the game happened? Well, I, I, so I, I knew there was a lot of hype around it just because, as I said, during the, C, uh, the BCLAs, uh, the Mary Cup stuff, um, Chad Possumus was on the team, Shane Osuende was on the team, and then Mike Taylor was there. So as much as Mike Taylor was raving about, you know, he didn't even know what he was getting into, I feel, but Chad was always backing it. Like, yeah, Winnipeg is, is, a, is a sports-driven city, man. They love their sports out there. So, like, I knew it was going to be rowdy, but I think just the, the attendance numbers kind of caught me by surprise, whereas it was, like, record-breaking for the for the league and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that was definitely surprising, but... Uh, yeah, it was fun. If I had to put a word on it, just fun and um, energetic, electric. Like it's, it's very fun playing there, and um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. And so that's a that was a part of the appeal then too, is just seeing all the different gyms across the league and how much fun it was to play in this one here in Winnipeg. Absolutely, absolutely, and obviously, you know, I, I've done my a few stints in Winnipeg, and it's not a bad city, like brother. I live in Saskatoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't complain, so I know how it goes and. Uh, yeah, no, just especially in the summer between, um, I mean, with the winter and the winter with the hockey and the summer with the basketball, yeah, Winnipeg's on the rise for sure. Not to mention the Blue Bombers, who have been a, a staple of success in the exactly. Canadian Football League for years now. So for you, how would you describe your style of play and how will that sync up with what the Seabears want to do? So I, I like to I like to look at it like I'm a foxhole guy. Uh I, you know, if you need, you need to get down and dirty, like I, I'm with all that. And then um, offensively, I can stretch the floor. You know what I mean? I'm definitely definitely a capable three-point shooter. So just your your traditional 3 and D guy. But with me, you're getting a guy that's going to put his heart on the line every day. I think Mike Taylor knows that. And that's why it was uh, kind of like a hand-on-glove fit for real. Uh, when he messaged me and wanted me a part of it, uh, I know – I know that boy Telly Allen. He's a very talented uh, individual, and I'm 
I'm there just filling the gaps and, and, and take this uh, to new heights. Obviously, we're chasing a championship. So um, that's where I feel like I could just come in, slot in, stretch the floor, space the floor for him, and, and obviously just guard the other team's best guard. You know what I mean? Give them hell on the, on the defensive end. So Teddy Allen was the MVP last year. He has re-signed with the team already. To play alongside an electric player like that who could just fill it up from anywhere on the court, how much fun is it going to be to play with someone that can do the kind of things he can do, which is fairly unique in this league? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm, I've been playing this game a long now, a long time now, Christian, and he's he's one, he's definitely a special talent. And uh, a guy like that, you know what I mean? You give him the ball and you let him do his thing. You cut. You He's going to attract defenders. So, like, I feel like it's really fairly easy to play with a guy like that just because he causes so much attention. And then you can just get yours off the off the catch and play and fill in the gaps and shoot threes, obviously. Like, that. <laughs> what's more fun than that? And then uh, I'm mentally prepared, obviously, playing against him. He's a hell of a player. And, uh, yeah, I just want to come in and, as I said, impact winning. They had the best record of the CBL, I believe, last summer. And I just, I obviously came up short in the playoffs and just looking to kind of sh- sharpen up around the edges of the roster. And then hopefully we're able to, to go the distance, you know? So you've played in a, in a number of markets in this league already. Uh, how, what have you learned about basketball in this country, playing for Saskatoon, playing in Vancouver, and now coming to Winnipeg? Uh, it's growing. Like you're talking about basketball in this country in general? Yeah. Yeah, just it's it's growing. As you can see, and it's worldwide, right? You see the Canadian kids coming up right before our eyes. Superstar, right? Shays. We got the RJ Barrett's, you know, the Jamal Murray's of the world. And then so it just trickles down as, as basketball grows. You know, we're pumping more, more out and uh, we're getting more eyes on us, more attention. Uh, you can see even in the European scene, there's a lot of kids coming straight from CIS that are making great money overseas and having long luxurious careers over there. And so I'm, I just like to think I'm like well, one of the pioneers coming from CIS myself and just where it's going. Cause every year it just seems to get better and better and more opportunities, more opportunity for these kids. So, um, yeah, no, it's exciting and exciting to be a part of it. And yeah, I definitely know I have a good three, four more years in me. So, you know, finish off strong, but, uh, for the team, definitely just, adding veteran presence and a guy that's been around uh just so you know as i said impact winning we got one goal in mind and that's to win a cbl championship i'm curious from your point of view growing up playing basketball uh for the university of windsor you're from ontario there wasn't a canadian elite basketball league when you were in school there were some teams i think of the london lightning were pretty successful in the nbl canada but yeah to have now something where you can play pro basketball in your own country, how does that feel for you? And, and how does that feel to see that generations after are going to have that to strive for? Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And as, as I said, just a lot of credit goes out to Mike Morelli, Canada basketball, all those guys that, you know, are kind of setting that tone and paving, paving the way for, for this thing. It's like, it's just a monster. There's no stopping it. And I feel like we're only in what year six. I've been a part of it from year one and you did touch on it. Yeah. The NBL Canada, that was, that was a good, I guess, prerequisite, but I feel like CBLs is blowing it through the roof and um, just continual growth. It, it, it is amazing to, 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 to see. And then obviously even more amazing to be a part of. So um, 
yeah, I'm just I'm just grateful and just ready to go. I look forward to my summers now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you get to play. It's like a two for one. You get to play and obviously travel the cities, all the cities that you wouldn't have if you were uh, if you were just playing it. Um, just kind of overseas from in the winter season and coming home summer chilling, right? So best of both worlds. Because you have played internationally, right? You've seen Spain and and Finland and France, and so what's been the biggest difference playing internationally compared to playing in Canada? Uh, I think in this league, our league, and I've I've actually been had to answer this question a couple times, where it's just like over there, it's more systematic. I would say just in Europe in general, like France, Spain, uh, Finland, like it's just a little bit more systematic. Uh, how can I say it? Each team has about three imports, right? Three dynamic players. The rest of them are kind of like uh, either you're a great shooter or kind of one-dimensional. If I, say. I know it sounds bad, but like that's the best way to put it. Whereas now you come over to the CBL, your 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 local guys are very dynamic. You know what I mean? Like your your local players are very good, and then not a, not to mention your your imports. So then it makes for I feel like a more uh, talented roster uh, for the CBL and although it's short hopefully they find a way to hopefully elongate it which I don't know if that would make sense but uh, that it, it, it's something it's something to look at because the CBL is very fun to pl- play in and uh, just getting better by the year I'm just realizing something through research here that I've called games of yours before when you were at the University of Windsor I was doing play-by-play for Western University, so Western. Uh, so you know Greg Morrow. Yes. Greg Morrow yes, yes. I, I did play by play for the twenty twelve through fifteen. So I would have called your games, and I'm going to get to call your games again ten years later. So uh, that's <laughs> yes, going to be uh, how. I guess we'll we'll make it not about me and make it about you. How <laughs> do you think you've personally grown as a basketball player from your time at Windsor and, and playing then as a early 20 or something to now you're in your thirties, you're a veteran guy. How, have, how has your style changed over the years? Uh, I think, I think it hasn't really changed. I was never really jumping out of the gym. I wasn't ever the most athletic guy, but what I do is defend. And then I, I, I space the floor. I like to think I'm a good shooter. <laughs> so, uh, I think just over the years, it's just been how, how it looks. There's been times where, um, I'm the point guard, main ball handler, and I'm setting up the play, but then I'm ending the play shooting. And then there's some guy, there's sometimes, as even for last year, where we have a dynamic point guard, and then I play basically the corners, the lifts, the 45, the slashing. So I think it's just a bit of both, and I've just been able to kind of shape shift to whatever the team needs or whatever the coach asked me to do. And I'm willing to do that again this year, especially playing um, with the talented uh, players that uh, Winnipeg already had. So um, just looking to obviously find my way, find my spots, and and then just just grow from it, right? It's a short season, but at the same time, twenty games is is is, is a lot of games to figure it out. So, um, not not concerned about that at all, especially with uh, the coaching of Mike Taylor and and staff. Uh, I'm pretty sure they'll put everyone in positions uh, to win. So we got three months pretty much till the first game. So far, three players on the roster. I'm sure there's there's more they're just waiting to announce. But uh, what? What's the next three months look like for you getting ready for the season? Just training, training, training. Obviously, with the university being um, coaching and stuff like that, um, I, I have gym access, and I've had gym access since uh, <laughs> uh, championship weekend in Vancouver, right? So I'm, I'm ready. I, my motto is I stay ready so you don't have to get ready. 
and uh um obviously there's there's more pros and stuff coming back out here a couple of the rattler guys are out here in saskatchewan training so I have, a, I have I have my ways to get up and down, set up some pro runs. I'm actually going to Toronto tomorrow, uh, so I'll see a couple of familiar faces, you know, Shane Osiendi and stuff like that. Get in my runs, but uh, yeah, just like everyone says, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing quite like the game, and so I'm gonna use these these things to wrap up uh, over the next three months here, Christian, and uh, so I can be ready for tip off here. Ironically, back in Saskatoon. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, Alex, thanks for this. Appreciate your time, and congrats again on uh, joining the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Appreciate it, brother. See you soon. Alex Campbell of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, the third player to sign in the offseason after Chad Posthumus and Teddy Allen and then Mason Borsier signed today. We'll hear from him on Friday. I taped that interview earlier today. A lot of uh, working ahead this week. It's a very unfamiliar concept for me. A person who leaves things to the last minute constantly in his day-to-day life. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but